Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. spirit and this is actually going to take us I'm going to have I have three more I have tonight which I'm beginning into the fourth part but it's actually going to they're they're leading from one to the next but this one will actually lead us into a focus of three chairs <laughs> not musical chairs but three chairs so I I want if it's possible that you can be here for this Wednesday night, some of you will probably be traveling next week. We pray for safe travels. I know a lot of people will be traveling. But uh, next Wednesday night, I'll wrap up this specific focus, and then I'll tie every bit of it in um, with a powerful story from Moses as we deal with the slave mentality, healing the orphan spirit, and people uh, may not fully understand. I, I want to tell you, I was highly impacted, probably... Uh, it was kind of went hand in hand. I think it might have been like twenty early twenty fifteen. Um, I, I was reading in the book of Romans and read in the in Romans eight, and or maybe it was twenty fourteen. Doesn't matter. Um, but I was reading it in the the scriptures. I mean, it just like grabbed me. You know how it is when you're reading and God just actually opens your eyes to it. He gives you revelation. To, it's revelation to you, but then you just can't unsee it. It's you've seen it now. It's it's with you. I was reading Romans eight. And uh, it got into the portion of talking about um, that about sonship. And I never heard the phrase sonship. Or I guess I have, but I didn't really fully understand it. And so I, I began to pray into that. And then it was where my prayer life shifted from like it was this having to do all these things. felt like I had to do a lot of things for God. I was excited to do them. It wasn't that I was just like, oh, i got to do another thing. But it, it was went from like I was, I was constantly just doing something I felt like for God to love me or for God to do this when really that's a very skewed mixed up mentality that people get um, instead of understanding that I've already been I'm I'm a son already I don't have to work for anything and then I started following the trail of breadcrumbs from Romans 8 when it talks about uh, here um, it says uh, the apostle Paul was saying in 14 I wasn't going to read it but this is our foundation verse he said for all who are being led by the spirit of God that's a continual process. It's, it's, it's a never-ending thing. You're constantly being led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons and daughters of God. And so that grabbed me, and it goes on to say, for you've not received the spirit of slavery uh, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, or that means Father. And it, it just really, that's what got me. And then I was taken back to the birth, of, or the, I keep saying the birth, the baptism of Jesus when before Jesus performed a miracle, before he did anything, that the Father speaks over him and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He, there was like, I let him know, I don't, he's my son. We know Jesus was perfect, but I'm, I'm not, he doesn't have to do anything for me to love him. I, 
it, it's just, it's an unconditional love. So that's when it clicked with me and I understood, like, I'm not having to work for anything. I have to work from the place of love and not for the love of God. I've already got it. A lot of people work for it. They have to, they feel like, well, I got to give more. I got to fast more. I got to pray more. All those things are great, but they don't need to be done from a place like I have to. Like I have to read scripture. When you understand that, that this is, this is the word, it's honey. Like it's the, the Hebrew people to teach like the little, the little children in their classes, what they'll do is they'll take honey on a parchment paper into like a little, a little kindergarten class. And so that, because Hebrew, the Hebrew people are very, Jewish people are very visual. It's not just sit down in the classroom and learn. It's very visual. That's why Jesus talked and walked and showed and demonstrated. So what they'll do is these rabbis will go into the classroom. They'll pour honey on a parchment paper, and then they'll have the kids taste it. And, of course, they're all going, mmm, that tastes so good. Got honey all over their mouth. And then they'll teach them his word is like honey to my lips so they can connect the dots. And so he's... Our, our God is wanting to teach. He's wanting to walk us, walk with us through the process. And it's not just God's way out there, and I can't ever connect with Him. And I'm way down here, and I'm little tiny and insignificant. We're 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 in the kingdom of God. We're royalty in the kingdom. And so there was just some things that began to click with me. And and then in the process of that, I read a book, and it really began to open my eyes in a different vein. Now it speaks in, when I talk about healing the orphan spirit. Some of you may not have been here, so I have to kind of rehash this a little bit. But when I talk about the orphan spirit, it's not a demonic spirit. Actually, there was at the very, very beginning, it's uh, Lucifer himself that fell. Uh, I'm not going there. You can go back and listen to the podcast. But what I'm talking about is the word spirit is interchangeable in portions of Scripture that means heart or it means attitude. So it's a mentality, the healing the orphan mentality, or it could be listed as the slave mentality. It's slaveship and it's not sonship. Because you, you're still bound in some areas of our life, which is why I'll wrap this up in a couple of weeks and talk about Moses, and I'll put a good little bow on it uh, and really give you some more keys to maybe help you to get out of this area. It's, it's a mentality. It's a lifestyle, and it has to change. It has to change. I can't just be a believer in a name only, but there has to be there has to be a substance as to why I believe what I believe. Like if I say I'm a believer but my attitude hasn't changed and I'm still rebellious and I still can't, I, I mean, I, I, there's a problem because I doubt that you really had a transformed heart. Maybe you did at one time, but uh, we know we're walking out the process of sanctification. We haven't arrived yet. And that's why daily I become more like him. I'm desiring to become more like him. So, um, that's kind of what I'm talking about. So what you see on the stage is you see three chairs. But from this, I read a book that really opened my eyes and put a visual understanding to let me know, hey, which chair am I sitting in? So a lot of what I'm going to teach you tonight is not original with me. A lot of it is. Some of it's not. But I want to let you know and give you that disclaimer on the front end. So he's like, wow, that was powerful. Great. It is. But I, I credit this to a, a, one, of the, one of the authors that I read. But this really helps. If it helps you, mission accomplished. Um, so tonight I want to talk about, we're going to deal with chair number one. And this is called the Spirit-Filled Life Chair. I would like to start at the worst part and work backwards, but I can't do that from three to one because I'm OCD and i got to start at one. So anyway, so we're going to deal with chair number one right here. Chair number one, this is the Spirit-Filled Life. Chair number one, the Spirit-Filled Life. Now, many of us may think, I want to sit in that chair, and I hope you are, but let's look at some attributes because sometimes 
I bet I get up out of the chair number one and sit in chair number two quite a bit throughout the day. And then I'll go back to chair number one. I, I'm just kind of can't decide where I want to sit from time to time. And it's, it's really, it's your mentality. So anyway, so where do I sit? That's what I'm going to ask you right now. Where do I sit? And chair number one is the spirit-filled life. And chair number two, <laughs> chair number two is the soulish life. That is the carnal believer. This is the believer, and that'll be next week. And I promise you won't want to miss it. You might. And just listen to the podcast. Because <laughs> it really it gets in our wheelhouse. It definitely gets in mine. But spirit-filled life where every believer needs to be. Soulish life, which is the carnal Christian that doesn't believe. They believe in God, but they struggle with their faith to believe that nothing's impossible and an array of other things. And then you have... The separated life, which this is the lost believer, or this is the lost person, the pre-believer, we could call them. They don't know Jesus yet. So that is the separated life. So spirit-filled life, soulish life, or carnal, and the separated life. Those are the three chairs. I will do chairs two and three next Wednesday night because three is a little bit shorter and two will really get to us. So, But I I want to, um, if you got your Bibles, turn to John 15. John chapter 15, verse 1, and uh, while you're turning there, I I will also be in 1 Corinthians for just a a, a small tidbit to really hit this, to drive uh, something home to open this up as I I move into this. But John 15, now I want you to understand the context, because I love that we can find context to Scripture and make sure that we understand what is it that's happening in this moment. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. They have taken communion, they, he's washed his disciples' feet, and now he's spending time in teaching them. He's opening up and just, I mean, just, just pouring out these words of wisdom, life and spirits flowing from him, and, and he gets to John 15. It's one of my favorite chapters, and we're going to look at seven verses here. In John 15, verse 1, Jesus tells him, he says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me or abide in me and I in you just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself but must remain in the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And the one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit for apart from me you can't do anything. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away uh, like a branch and dries up, and they gather and throw him in the fire, and they are burned. And verse 7, I'll stop here. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, Jesus, those are some very important last words. He has a few more, but those are some very important last words that he's saying to them before he goes to the cross. He actually goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and in the process, when he, I mean, we know that's whenever he gets arrested and, and, and all of that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to read this really quick, verse 13 through 16. And it says in verse 13, We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural person or a carnal person, 
The soulless person does not accept these things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the one who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is discerned by no one. Now, that's just referring to the understanding of the spiritual life. So I wanted to read that. Oh, I'm sorry. One more. Verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I wanted to read that because I wanted to tie this in as we're talking about the spirit-filled life as opposed to where we'll dig in next week about the soulish life. The things of God cannot be understood by the soulless Christian. When I say soulless Christian, uh, it's the person that they, they, they never read Scripture, they never read the Bible, they never pray. So when people talk spiritual things, they immediately get critical, offended, and they struggle with it because they themselves are not where that person is. And it's not someone's trying to outdo anybody or be super hyper spiritual, which I, 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 there's, there's a line to that. It's just that's the way somebody lives their life. The spiritual life believer, here, let me just give you what chair number one is described like, and it'll probably be on the side screens. The first thing is they're described by commitment. They're, they're, they're fully committed. They're 100% in. Um, the second one is this. Is that on the side screens? Okay, I thought it was. Commitment. So commitment's the first thing. The second thing is saved. The gospel, uh, they're, they're saved. They're saved believers. The third thing is that it's described as the gospel of the kingdom. They, they function and, and focus from the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is, a, is, a, is the premier thing they think of. Seek first the kingdom of God. They feel his love and they see his face. What does that mean to see his face? They're in a place of, of constantly seeking the face of God. Um, they, they're living from a place of life. They're living from a place of faith and not from constant doubt and constant fear. They live in sonship or daughterhood, but sonship that covers all of us. Um, they Now listen to this part. Chair number one describes someone that does what God is blessing. They don't say, God bless me, bless me, bless me. They say, God, what are you blessing? That's where I want to be. So that's where they function from there. Supernatural is what is natural. You understand that you are supernaturally natural or you are naturally supernatural. You are created as a supernatural being. I don't care what you look at, you're supernatural because one of these days, if we believe in the sweet by and by, we're going to leave this planet and there's something supernatural going to happen. So I either believe it now or I will believe it later. One of the two, we will believe that. So you're, you're made supernaturally. Um, the, the chair number one, the spirit-filled life, dwells in habitation. They understand, I don't want visitations from God. I need to learn how to have him as a habitation on my life. That's chair number one. Um, they, they live, now again, like I told you, I get out of seat number one, sitting number two quite a bit from time to time. So uh, that's kind of the way that goes in, in the soulish from time to time. Um, security. They, the chair number one, the spirit life, it's a place, they live in a place of security because they trust and know that the Lord is their firm foundation. Um, they are in a place where they receive what God is doing and they don't feel like they're a bother to God the Father because they have spent time with Him. They, they understand the hard work of in entering rest, not the hard work to get God's love, but they understand how to, 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 to work hard to get into that, that place of rest with God. They understand that the Sabbath is ceasing from own personal works and entering into the love of God and the work that Christ did for us. They have access. 
There's that they understand that I always walk in access. What does that mean? That I'm, God is never closed off to me. It's it, it's the closed the closed off uh, boy that well the heavens are brass is not God Himself. I believe it's the mindset of the believer. Sometimes we close our minds to Him when we have access, right? We always if He has never left us, that means He's always with us. So we always have access. That's what I'm saying. And they walk in the Spirit on a consistent basis. That doesn't mean they levitate. That just means that they understand their position as a son in the kingdom or a daughter in the kingdom, so they walk from that place in a place of love and not for the love of God. They don't work for that. They know where they dwell. And in John 15, 3, Jesus tells them something specific, and I want to even bring this and bring a microscope a little bit further on something that he says because he mentions this word 11 times in Scripture here that I'm reading in the translation that I'm reading, and he tells them, abide Remain or abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of, of its own. So you can't do anything on your own. Otherwise, it's works-based. It's fleshly. It's soulish, right? So it has to be of the Spirit born, and it's only born from the Spirit from Jesus. He says, you, if you don't abide in me, um, unless you abide in the vine, you, you can't abide in me. Jesus is saying you have to be connected. Abide is the word, in my opinion, that sums up the true meaning of walking in the Spirit. What does it mean to abide? What does that really mean? Or, or, or living a Spirit-filled life is learning how to abide in Jesus or remain in Jesus. Does it mean that you're praying 24-7, 365? People say that they were in the upper room and they were, they were uh, continually, the Scripture says they were continually uh, in that place. Continually means that at some point they left from time to time. All right? But continuously means they never left. But continually they were there. Not continuously. There's a difference. But when you are continually walking with Jesus, that means your mind, we're, we're, we're human. We're going to forget things. We're going to forget to pray sometimes in the morning. We're too sleepy. <laughs> and get enough coffee or whatever it may be, you know, from time to time. So, the, the, and, I, and I can find myself at, at times where legalism tries to arrest my mind and make me feel bad. Now, I don't need to go without it because that's nourishment. Again, it's, it's what nourishes you spiritually. Again, remember, the Bible is the only book that when you read it, the author shows up and you encounter him. There's no other book. There's no other great novel that you'll read, some romance novel that you'll read where the author's going to show up and pat you on the back and give you a kiss on the cheek. No one else will do that. But the Bible, you encounter the author in the moment that you read it because it is, it is, it is life. It's love, it's life, it's correction, it's, it's our constitution by which that we live our lives by. So here's some words to, to, to describe the word abide. The first one is this, is rest. To abide in, and God is to rest in him, to remain in him, to yield, surrender and submit unto him. I, I abide in him, which means I stop and stop. Stop, stop doing the things and yield myself to him. I trust, security, lack of stress fruitfulness, identity, and steadfastness. These are just some to list uh, as I put this out there. Jesus, as I said, lists the word abide 11 times, so it's kind of important uh, to pay attention to what he's talking about by it. But it means to continue on a permanent state. 
So to abide in Christ means to live continually in Christ. Continually abide in in Jesus means committed to God through the faith. And to live a life of faith in Jesus means that every aspect of my life is evidenced by my believing in him and in his word. That's what that means. So um, if we were to take the scripture and as he talks about, he he references the vineyard. there's not vineyards here. I know that when a friend of mine and I, we, we traveled to California back in 2018, and we took the scenic route out of San Francisco, and it, I don't even want to, it is so funny. I woke up, I, so I, I fell asleep. I let him drive, which was a bad idea. I fell asleep. We were three hours from where we were supposed to go. I woke up, and we were four hours from where we needed to be. I'm like, how long have we been? We've been driving an hour. We went a t- completely, well, I'm taking the scenic route. Well, that's great. Well, in that process of taking the scenic route, we hit this area where it's just like a lot of brown high grass, some rolling hills, but then all of a sudden these beautiful vineyards. I mean, it was just like over these hills, it's like almost as much as you could see, there were these beautiful vineyards, and it, was, it wasn't vintage season, but it was getting close. And we got to see all of that and experience that. And I began to think really back then when I was like, I was like, it was tying the thoughts of, of him being, Jesus being the vine, the Father being the vine dresser, and we are the branches, and we have to be connected to that. But when you walk through a, a vineyard, you'll, you'll see fruit, but you don't ever see tension. There is no tension in a vineyard. You, you will never have to walk up to a branch and hear it complaining or struggle. Oh, my gosh, grapes. Grapes. Come on. Grapes. They're not sweating it out. They're not on their, their, their smart devices trying to text and figure out how to get some fertilizer. They don't. They trust and know I've just got to remain connected. Now, I know they don't. But really, if I was a grape, I'm going to rest because I know that somebody's going to have to tend to me and take care of me, right? So they understand they have to be connected. So they don't have to struggle to bear or grow or whatever. They trust that there is a vine dresser that will come through and tend to the whole of the vine. It knows, the fruit knows itself that the fruit it bears comes from inside the life of the tree and not from working it up on the outside of the branch. That it, the life is on the inside. It's not on the outside. It's on the inside. I'm not saying that you don't have some things that you have to do, okay? I've said this often, that salvation is free. But maturity in the kingdom of God and growing in Jesus, is gonna, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you this, that, and the other. Because that's most of what you need in the kingdom is going to come to you. But the things you want, you're going to have to go get them. All right. I'll just stop there and keep moving. All right. So let me take this a step further, and let's talk about six evidences of abiding. Six evidences of abiding. The first one is this. The first one is fruitfulness. So if you're taking notes, make sure that you, have we got this? Okay. All right. The first thing is fruitfulness. There's a big difference between works and fruit. There's a big difference. Number one is fruitfulness. There's a big difference between works and fruit. Works are a product of the arm of flesh, all right? And um, 
while fruit is a product of abiding, remaining in that place of perpetual relationship with Jesus. So fruit is the natural outgrowth of an internal union. All right? The, you know, Jesus said often, you will know them by their f- what? By their fruits. You can tell. I, I can, I, I'm, I'm with Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie, we've talked about this. Uh, you, you can tell if someone has a prayer life. And when they begin to pray, well, how they pray, is, it, is, there, is there a personal connection? What, what, what's going on? You can tell because there's a fruit there. I can tell by, by, by the fruit of people, and it's the same with you. You can tell by the fruit of people if what they truly say is who they truly are. Just be around them long enough, and you'll figure it out. Our productivity comes out of our um, our continuity. It's a the productivity in, in relationship with the Lord is out of our continuity. Our continue building history to build history with God. I love how it said is that when I build history with God, He will make His story flow out of my life. I will bear fruit that is beyond anything that I could have done by myself because I'm connected to something greater than myself. You with me? Here's, here's some examples in Scripture. The number one is, the, uh, here's the first one. There is a fruit of soul winning that's listed in Scripture, and it's in Romans 1, 1 and 13. There is a, I'm not going to read it, but you, you'll see it. There's a fruit of soul winning. So there is a fruit there. The second one is the fruit of holy living. There is a holy living, and that's listed in Romans chapter 6 and verse 22. The next one is there's a fruit of character. Uh, and that's Galatians 5.22. I'm not going to read these. It's just I'm listing them for you if you want to take notes and read them later. There is a fruit of giving. That's listed in Romans 15.28. A fruit of praise. We talk about praise all the time. Yes, there is a scripture to back that up. And it's in Hebrews 13.15. There are fruits that we are expected, not optional. As a believer, we're expected, Levi, to do. I mean, we're, I'm expected to bear fruit. It's, it's, it's natural to me, but I'm, I'm going to take us. but there's more. And number two is probably going to be one of my favorite topics to talk about, but one of the things I hate the most. Number two is pruning. So I, the number one that I listed to you was fruitfulness. And that's an evidence that you are abiding in God. The second one is, uh, the second one is pruning. I, I love that one of my favorite quotes is that God rewards all growth by pruning. God's like, congratulations, you've really grown in the spirit and the great things of God. Now he begins to cut and begins to prune and begins to trim back. And it's like, oh, that's painful. Oh, that's painful. Because for even vintage season and grapes, I understand that there is a season where they trim everything back that it looks completely barren. Why? Because they know there's a great season of great growth coming. So you have to understand and know and stop rebuking the devil, as some of the old-timers used to say. Stop rebuking the devil for things that it's just God pruning you back to get you ready for greater growth. Listen, that's a phrase of mine right now. I'm praying, God, give me greater. I want, greater, I want the greater measure of your presence. I want greater faith. I want, and and I'm, I'm afraid that as I pray these things, I know they're going to come. And it's, you don't grow in faith without some, some resistance. Right, some of the weightlifters in the room, you can't you can't build mass unless there's resistance. Right, 
There has to be resistance, so as it is with faith. But you can't curl up your tail and fall out. You've got to understand that God will prune. He will cut. He will remove things that needs to be removed. But why does he prune? Let's ask that question. Why does Jesus talk about that in Scripture? Why does he prune? Well, the first thing is this. is He prunes because it's, it's whatever is hindering my growth. He's going to prune that back. It could be that you went into a great fruitful season. Oh, I'm, I blew it up. You know, let's use ministry for a moment. I, I blew up a worship set, and I preached a great message, or I went and taught this class, and we grew, and it was that's great. But if you're not careful, you turn into a Nebuchadnezzar and say, look what I did, and God has to turn you into, not literal, probably, I don't know, sometimes, turn you into a beast, make you crawl on all fours and humble you, because you didn't know how to humble yourself before God, so he, humili- he, he will humiliate. He has no problem because he absolutely loathes and, and can't stand and hates uh, arrogance and pride. It takes us back to the fall of, the first, of Lucifer himself, which was the first orphan. That means he, he didn't have a home. He was misplaced. Okay? All right, I can't go there. What, when will he prune? So what does he prune? He prunes whatever hinders my growth. When will he prune? That happens at the right season to produce the greatest amount of fruit. That's what he does. So if you ask a gardener, anybody, anybody that gardens in the, in the room? Any gardeners? There's a few there. All right. So I probably should ask you guys first this. Hopefully you do prune. If you ask a gardener, They'll tell you that the pruning is necessary for maximum yield and productivity. It has to happen. I've watched that they've cut the tops of certain trees out at the beginning of the season so that they'll produce a greater bloom whenever that season comes. Imagine the plant seeing, say say that you're the plant. Imagine you look up and you see the, the vine dresser coming and the shearers are coming. You know, there, I mean, that if, you, if a plant had feelings, they say they do. I don't know. Maybe they do. I, I, I ain't got a clue. Anyway, so there's no good words that the gardener can use to convince the plant, hey, this is going to be a good thing for you. I promise you it's going to be a good thing for you, right? There's no increase to that vine or that tree or whatever it may be without the pruning. It has to happen. But how does the father, I know I'm talking about plants, but how does the father prune his children? Here's. I'm going to give you some, a list of things as well. This is how he does it. He does it through Scripture, Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is sharp and powerful, and, or it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes into that, and it divides. it's a double-edged sword. So, in other words, when, when the Lord brings the pruning knife into your world, the pruning sword into your world, it's double-edged. Okay? When God prunes, listen to me. This is important. Because you're, if you haven't hit a pruning season, you will hit it. It's double-edged whenever God begins to do it. it that means one side cuts. It, got, it cuts to the quick. It cuts to the, to the heart of the matter. And the other side of that heals in the process. It's double-edged. So know when God does it, it, it cuts and gets the, the cancer out, but it also heals as it's coming back out or whatever. You, you understand my point. So the word of God is sharp and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul, spirit, joints, and marrow, and it is a zerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's what the word of God does. Scripture will prune you. The second thing is the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to dig into that deep, but you can look for that yourself. The third thing is other people. God will use other people 
to help prune his children. And that's in Genesis 50. We look at the story of Joseph. He said, you meant it for my evil, but God turned it and used it for my good. We don't ever know the seasons. God may not have ever caused it, but he can use it, right? The last thing is difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances can prune and remove what needs to be removed. Now, this is all pointing to abiding in Christ. Number three, total dependence. This is the next thing. I mentioned a while ago about the, um, um, the evidences of abiding. And the number three is total dependence. So Jesus tells him, he says, you can't do anything without me. Are you with me? I know I'm, pre- I'm preaching topical, but I'm not following down through a story. But he says, without me, you can do nothing. It's difficult Man, if, if you're an independent person, don't raise your hand, but this is for you. If you feel like you, you, you don't need anybody, I can do it all by myself. Um, there's certain things in life, we, we do those things, right? But when it comes into the kingdom of God, it's a different story. Your relationship with God, you don't do it all by yourself. You, uh, lest it becomes a work of the flesh, works-based. <clears throat> it's difficult for the independent to hear those words about being totally dependent. For without me, you can't do nothing because they're used to working it and doing it themselves, trying to produce a fruit. And maybe with you, you'll never see success that you desire to see because you're disconnected from the life giver. So that's why you're always going through motions, but you never encounter fresh life because you're disconnected. Hopefully you're thinking about it. <laughs> Here's that I'm gonna tell you. That's where I've been. I, I've I've fasted till I don't look like it now. But there was a there was a time and a season where it was a lot, a lot, a lot of fasting, a lot of seeking, a lot of person. Now I don't think I, God did. God doesn't waste anything. He'll use He'll use every vessel you bring to Him. It's the story of of the widow and the oil. He'll use every vessel. But here's the thing. You, you have to learn in this. You have to evolve in your relationship with the Lord and understand his heart. If you don't understand his heart, you'll be stubbornness. You'll be stubborn and stiff-necked, and you'll never enter into the joys of the Lord. I love, uh, I'm going to, this was not on my message to preach, but I will tell you, Jeremiah 17, the Bible says, Cursed is the man who trusts in, fl- in, in flesh. And, and this is what's interesting about Jeremiah 17. Man, I want to read that. I think I'm going to have to flip over and just read that portion of Scripture just so I can drive the point home. Um, but Jeremiah 17, he says, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Listen to what he says. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see whenever prosperity comes. He's blinded to it. Why? Because he's working of his own strength. And they haven't learned how to rest in the goodness of God, rest in the word of the Lord, and just trust in God, but trying to make something happen on their own. Who am I preaching to tonight? And he goes on to say, but we'll live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt that is not inhabited. That's Jeremiah 17, verse 5 and 6. I have been meditating on this, and I've been really working. God, deliver me from the fear of man. Deliver me from my own works. Help me, help me to develop an eye to see you, an ear to hear, and a heart to rapidly obey and respond quickly. I don't want to delay on what you say. And, and, and we've, we've got to get to that place where we're not trusting in my own ability. My own ability is no good. I tell our worship team all the time, I don't care how good you can play sing. I don't, I don't care. The problem is, is if there's no anointing, God hadn't put his hand on the arrow. 
For those of you that know the story of Elisha, when God puts his hand, there's supernatural power that comes upon that. So my ability is nothing more than just a gift. But when he puts his hand on it, there's anointing, there's power, there's demonstration. There's something that would take me 10 years to get to, and God does it in 10 minutes. So there is a resting and a ceasing from my own abilities and a trusting in him. So when he prunes, and he will, when he cuts, you better learn how to live like this. And not live like this. Because when he does take it, he will rip it from your hands and leave your hands bleeding. Because it didn't belong to you. Maybe it did for the season, but not for the lifetime. All right. I'm moving. I'm about to move, AJ, move. God tested Abraham's faith. We're talking about total dependence. You talk about depending upon the word of the Lord. You, you, I can't even go there to think about. I put, when I read Abraham's story, I think to myself, put yourself in that story, AJ, with Abraham, and he asks you, give me your son. I want you to sacrifice him on the mountain. Taking Elijah up to the mountain, my own son. He was required to carry, he was the sacrifice, so he carried the brush. The father that prunes and cuts was carrying the knife and the fire because that's what fathers carry. I'm on, that's another teaching. Man, I've got so much laced in this, I'll move on. But Abraham had to depend upon the word that was coming. The proceeding word, not the, pre- the preceding word said sacrifice your son. But the proceeding word that meant he was connected to the vine. When he raised the knife, if he would have been stubborn headed and rebellious, he would have killed his own son. Now God could have raised him, but he would have not done it accordingly. And then God says stop Abraham for there's, there's an answer in the thicket. Because there was a proceeding word. Connected to the vine means that you're living and continually being led by the Spirit of God. You may have heard, well, I heard the Lord speak 20 years ago. Have you not heard him since? There's a problem. You're disconnected. So total dependence. Peter's courage, stepping out of the boat. Moses' ability as a statesman. I can't speak. I'm not, I can't, I don't know what I'm going to do. It doesn't matter, Moses. Who created your mouth? I created your mouth. Go and tell. Paul's pride. I want to go there. We go there. Um, number four, this is evidence that you're that you're connected. Is that you? There's answers to prayer. John 14, and I will read these. John 14, 12 through 14 says this. Truly I say to you, the one that believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater than these will he do. There's our word greater again. It just keeps popping up. Um, Because I'm going to the Father, and I love this. And whatever you ask in my name, that word ask is demand. And it's not towards God demanding that God gives you something. It's demanding that the enemy returns something that was stolen. Are you with me? I'm going to preach it harder because some of us have had stuff stolen and we don't understand our authority and position in the kingdom to say, hey, I demand that it be returned, enemy, whatever that is. I demand that you release it and give it back. It's got to come back. So there's a demand. I'm a son, so I have authority in the kingdom to demand those things back. And whatever you ask in my name, that will do that the Father be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So there in that, we see that there's answers to prayer And it's connected to my abiding in him. Number five is love. Number five is love. Jesus commands us to love one another. The principle here is that the closer that I get to him, the more that I can love you. That's supernatural love. The closer I get to God, the more that I can love you. Problem is, is some of us don't love anybody. We, we can't, we, we, we struggle. I'm not talking about those that they constantly sticking the knife in your back. You're called to walk away from those relationships. I'll just tell you. I'm just telling you, not your spouse. <laughs> you got to work that out with a counselor or whatever. But 
there, there, there's those that it's okay. You can forgive them. You can love them from a distance, but you draw a boundary line. All right, keep moving. When we're seated in chair number one, we don't see Saul the terrorist, but we see Apostle Paul because we're living a spirit-filled life. It's a life of the spirit. You ever heard the phrase, I need to fine-tune something? We need to fine-tune this. As the orchestra prepares for the concert, it sounds like disorder, disarray, and chaos because they're all doing all kinds of stuff. And it used to be that if uh, back in the day there was a leader that would step up and uh, the orchestra leader, orchestra leader, and he would take an instrument called a tuning fork, and they were originally used to tune musical instruments because they emanate a perfect sound, a perfect pitch to find uh, um, that was able to have the sound waves that, pat, that, that was able to find the patterns to fine-tune the instruments to the proper pitch. As each is tuned to one pitch, they were all ready to play their notes, producing a beautiful piece of master uh, of music. So it is with us. As we fine-tune our spirits to what the Holy Spirit is saying, we learn how to abide in Him. We get closer to Him, which enables us to get closer to each other. Jesus said, you will know them. By this you will know that all people are my disciples if they have love one for another. The closer you get to him, the more that you love others. The last thing is this, and AJ, come, and I'm going to wrap it up. The last thing is this, inner joy. Inner joy. This is another key component to knowing that you are abiding. <laughs> Anybody have joy? Sometimes. <laughs> Understand that joy is an inside job. There's a difference between joy and there's a difference between happiness. Joy is internal. Happiness is external. Joy is a choice. Just like love is a choice. Just like people say, well, I just quit loving my spouse. You, you, you made a choice. You made a choice that when I get up every morning, I'm choosing to love my beautiful wife. I'm not choosing to love another woman. She's my, I, I'm choosing her today. Not 15 years ago I chose her. I did on that day, but I still choose her every day. Joy is a choice. You choose it. Joy is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is joy. Happiness is external. Happiness is a chance. Happiness is dependent upon the circumstance. You can be exceedingly happy by playing the lottery and winning the and winning the, the the whatever, whatever they've got going on at the time. It's a chance. It's something that's extra. It happens. I'm so happy. But the next thing you know, but joy is different. Joy is different. Joy come to a man by the name of Paul that is in a Philippian prison. That Philippians is known as the happiest book in the Bible, and yet he was beaten bruised, thrown into a prison cell, and he simply could have sat down in chair number two and been soulish. But the Apostle Paul stayed right here in a spirit-filled life and said, be anxious for nothing. He writes the book of Philippians 10 years after the Philippian jail experience, and he goes on and he says, I thank my Lord, uh, my God, at the very thought of you. And I'm thinking, my thought is, when I think about the church at Philippi, that is the dumbest thing I ever did was go that area. Why? Because it's a soulish mentality. It's based upon the emotions. 
but it's not based upon a life of faith. It's not based upon a heart of love. It's not based upon being connected to the vine, but it's being connected to a soulish realm. Why? Because Paul was suffering in a prison so that somebody's sitting right here in the disconnected, separated life from Jesus Christ that he might save one. That they could come from the seat that is a separated life and move themselves into a place and become an example. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. Read, if you want joy, read Philippians. It's going to be on everybody's repeat tomorrow. Repeat. I'm at work. Oh, my gosh, you don't understand the people I work with. Repeat. Repeat. That's good. Get it in you. Get the word in you. Psalm 1611 says that the fullness of joy is in the, in the presence of God. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The longer you sit in chair number one, Jesus begins to show up and show you that the secret of the abundant living is fruit bearing. The, the fruit bearing is abiding. The abiding is obeying, and the obeying is loving, and the loving is knowing. So competition, comparison, jealousy, rebellion is not here in seat number one, but it's right here in seat number two in the carnal lifestyle. So how do I stay in chair number one? You're going to have to come back next week for that. No, I'm, I'm going to give you a little. And I'm going to tell you it's something so simple that we look for a solution. And we were talking about this in my life group class. A lot of times in our, in our journey with God, we, we're creatures of habit. Are we not, Kenny? We like the same. We, I want to sit at the same place. At, I want to I get the same meal when I go to La Potosina. Every time. It's like, oh, I'm going to try something different. And they come up and you're like, I'm getting the same thing. <laughs> and so you, it's, you're, we're creatures of habit. But in the kingdom of God, that's not how that works. Because God doesn't want you depending upon a system, a formula, or a strategy that you've used over and over and over again. And so he'll change it. He'll change the way that he speaks to you at times to get you to, to break out of monotony and the mundane. Because God is not a static God. He's what? He's dynamic. He's moving. He's progressive. He's, he, he, it's funny that God is he's, um, immutable, which means he doesn't change, but he changes systems in our life to not keep us dependent upon the same thing that brought us through that last time. Because he wants you seeking. He doesn't want you comfortable. He'll prune you. The lifestyle of a body in Christ is one of the most rewarding. But this is where it all starts. Stand to your feet. This is where it all starts. It's going to be the simplest thing you've ever heard. Repent and confess. <laughs> God, I'm sorry. Hey, won't you bring the lights down if you would? Because I am going to drill deep into chair number two next week. Because we're going to root that, that, that attitude of the orphan out of your heart. Because the Father is in this room. He loves you. Listen to me. He loves you too much to leave you in the same place, in the same chair that you're sitting. The majority of the people, I would say, in this room, we, we vacillate from one to two. <laughs> Spiritful life, soulless, carnal. Spiritful life, soulless, carnal. Some of us may be in seat number three needing Jesus for the first time. But the lifestyle of carnality is not rewarding. It's miserable. You will, you'll feel like you're riding the fence I've been there. And it is hard to stay right here at times. It, at times it is. It's a, it's a discipline. 
to stay focused, to stay positive, not just positive mental attitude, but a spirit-filled life attitude. So we sit here. So how do I get from here to here? The carnal, the life of carnality. Father, I'm asking you, forgive me. I'm asking you to forgive me for the way that I've thought. I'm asking you to forgive me of having little faith. I'm asking you to forgive me for those that I've gossiped about, for those I've talked about. I'm asking you to forgive me for words that I've said, things that I've looked at with my eyes, things that I've heard with my ears, places that I've gone with my feet and with my heart. Maybe I didn't go there physically, but I went there mentally and emotionally. God, I'm sorry. I repent today because I understand that there is a good father that is standing at the end of the road, and he's looking for his daughter to come back home. He's looking for his son to come back home so that he can give him a robe, a ring, and some sandals and welcome them home. Because this is what we know. We can tell how much we know about God by how much we celebrate. So as I repent and I confess that I've been sitting in a place of carnality, Father, I desire to be led by the Spirit of God every day, and I desire to walk with you. So now I want to give you some time. I'm going to give you two to three minutes. I don't, it, this has got to be preached. It's got to be talked about. So I'm going to give you two to three minutes right now to walk into that place in your own uh, prayer time right now to repent and confess. If you need to find a place at an altar, that's fine. But I just want you to take some time right now because God is inviting you into a lifestyle of abiding and remaining and not sitting in a place of carnality because he's a supernatural God that is looking to pour out his goodness, his favor, so that the rest of the world may know who he is. That's the purpose of favor, and that's the purpose of his outpouring, to know who God is. So right now, I'm going to give you that moment, just a few time, a few moments here. If you need to take that, God forgive me. I just prayed it to you, how, how that I would and how I do from time to time. But repent and confess. God, I can't find healing. I can't find it any other way. I want to deal with the pride. I want to deal with the independence, thinking I can do it on my own. I want to deal with the, the, the emotional stuff that comes up from time. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit highlights in you because you have an inner witness in you. Let Him deal with those things inside of you tonight. Bring wholeness, life, health, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for emotional, emotional healing right now. Help us, God, move into that place of a spirit-filled life. As we read Scripture, God, I pray that there would be revelation to open our eyes to our position and where we are. Let me ask you a question. What chair are you sitting in tonight? What chair are you sitting in? Are you sitting in the spiritual life? Are you sitting in a seat of carnality? Or are you completely separated? If you're completely separated, repentance for your sins and believing in, in Jesus tonight would be, I mean, that would be your, your, your step. Thank you for peace, God. 
Empower us to follow. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, prayer team, if you guys would, for those of you come to the front, I, we're going to be dismissed, but we're going to give opportunity to pray. I want to tell you about some things that happened Sunday morning. We we did a we did a uh, I did a word of knowledge at the end of the second service Sunday about something, and we had quite a few people that came up and received prayer and we know of one, I had no idea with this one, it's really connected with Crystal and I, um, had no idea about the one but there was a young lady that uh, some blood work came back and it was uh, there was something that they were seeing and they were thinking that it was it wasn't good and uh, they had actually were going to Vanderbilt the next day so they we, I had no idea about this. We, it was a word. I, my word of knowledge was that there is there may be some tests that came back and was uh, something, or maybe there was if there's some tests that came back they didn't look good. You haven't told a lot of people, or, or you've been experiencing things in your body and you haven't gone to the doctor yet and you're really concerned. So we had a lot of responses, but this one specific, there were some tests that came back abnormal, did not look good. So they were going to Vanderbilt. And literally, we, I don't know, I think it was Tuesday, Crystal shot me the text and came back and said that she was completely, that was negative for all of these things. And it was just a really amazing, really awesome. I really celebrate that. Had another lady that, um, that has previously had cancer. And uh, she had, we prayed over her a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she went back for another PET scan, and she's still clear. We prayed over her. So there's just been some things that's happened. And so we celebrate those, the healing power of Jesus. Uh, and there's some other things that's happening as well. And so hopefully in the next, hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll be able to release some of that. Some, it, it, some, like, some huge mounds of financial de- debt, like thousands of dollars of financial debt that has been uh, completely done away with and forgiven in some people's lives. So there's some of those things that's brewing as well. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. This is a season of signs. Wonder, it's always a season of signs, wonders, and miracles. But just to see what God's doing is so amazing. And he's just looking for partnership. He's looking to partner with us so that he can do some extravagant things and keep them going. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.